Welcome to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to hire the Orkin Man to exercise the mosquito who has been haunting your home. We're talking about the legal eagle engagement or that professor position. And what about all of that activism activity? We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And on this episode, we are talking to an esteemed writer whose novel, Grace, garnered the Image Award nomination, the 2017 American Library Association, Black Caucus Award winner for Best Debut Fiction, and was named a New York Times Top Book for 2016. Her new novel, The Perishing, has been named a most anticipated book by Publishers Weekly, Book Riot, Library Journal, Lit Hub, and The Millions. And before I bring her on before I say this line I just have to tell you Mm -hmm. this is the most exceptional email guest ever oh my god long before she ever came on the show and we're just emailing and scheduling with her she's just the nicest the nicest always gets right back to you instantaneous super enthusiastic offering up whatever we needed before we even really asked for it yeah we're supposed to make her feel good but she made us feel good and therefore we couldn't be more thrilled to find out all about the gigs day jobs side hustles that have paved the road for this amazing guest so please welcome to the show the inimitable natasha dayon yes I knew I was going to mess that word up, you guys. Yeah, I put it in on purpose. You know that I hate that one. <laughs> it describes you perfectly. But I have a hard, hard time saying it. I love it. Don't ask me to say it. Don't ask me to say it. It's a hard one. I'm not going to lie. You do it to me all the time. I think you should introduce yourself as Natasha Inimitable Dion. Yes. <laughs> Don't do that to me. Don't do that. <laughs> I can say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I can say that one. Bravo. That is, all, that is all we need. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's our sound check. <laughs> I'm so, so happy to be here, you guys. Thank you so much. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Well, it's, I hope the commute exciting. wasn't too bad. No, no. It was right <laughs> through the living room over some boxes. And, you know, and I, I slid in. I slid into the seat. Nice. Boxes of your new book? No, <laughs> I wish it, you see that like that tremble. I wish it were something like that, but it's just junk that I have to put away. And uh, I, have yeah, I know that. I know that feeling. That's know, my backyard. I it, it, well, it was thanks to uh, thanks to the Buy Nothing group on Facebook. It's a, it's a lot emptier now. Ooh, thank God. Yeah, yeah, we've been giving it away. We've yeah, been... except that you before you gave it all away. You bought nothing and gained a lot of stuff. That's true. Long before I discovered that I could give things away on buy nothing, I realized I could buy nothing and get things. And speaking of side hustles and side gigs, our child is six and he's figured this out like, oh, so I can buy nothing from this person and then sell it for money on eBay or at a garage sale. And I was like, wow, Alex P. Keaton. Yes, you can. (laughs) Why? He goes, well, I want a bajillion dollars. I want to buy a Tesla. You're six. What are you going to do in a Tesla? And he knows it's a self-driving car. He doesn't need to do anything. He's like, it'll drive me places while I watch TV. Where are you going? (laughs) I love it. He's going to sell his stuff. That's where he's going. <laughs> he's going, yeah. He's making deliveries. It's amazing. Um, so I just, most people who are listening or tuning into this 
we'll know who you we'll know who you are, or we'll have a sense of some of the things you've done because you've done so many things, including the um, reading series Dirty Laundry Lit, which is very popular. I know that it's sort of come to an end, but it it was like it was huge, and Natasha was behind that. Everything you've done for activism is huge, but before we get to like that where we've blown up to these great things and books you went to law school you went to law school i did i did i did 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 you go to law school like when or when you went to law school was being a writer on your radar at all or was it just like i'm going to be a lawyer and i'm going to law school and that's the plan kind of both um yeah. Because so okay, so the reason why I went to law school is I got thrown out of a courtroom. What? So, yeah, so I was sure then at that moment because I was there trying to support a friend who was in, trying to get a restraining order, and she was so emotional and in tears, and I was just there for emotional support. I was working in radio. I was like, I was just gonna sit in the back. I wore my best club clothes because that was all I had. I was like. 19 years old at the time. Um, and so I went with her and every time she would start talking, she would cry and I would be like, judge, I know what happened. He did this, this, this. Uh, so it was like, and the judge and pretty soon his, he had an attorney and the attorney kept saying, you know, you have to, you can't talk judge. She can't talk. She's not a lawyer. And I was like, okay, I'll sit down. And then it would happen again. And I would stand up and the judge is like, look, if you stand up again, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I was like, okay, judge, I'm going to sit here. I'm just here as a friend. I sat there and then he started yelling. The lawyer's yelling. She's crying. So I stand up again, judge. And he's like, out, get out. And I was like, and then I kind of shimmy to the back door and I turned around and I said, you know what? In the most dramatic pose ever, (laughs) I was like, I will never be this powerless again to help the people that I care about. And so I enrolled in law school and I was in there, you know, not even six months later, I was in school. So I was working, I quit radio, got a full-time job to pay for law school and I worked on the weekend. So I was going to law school at night. Um, And then three years later, I graduated, did all that. And I was a lawyer. Wow. And And passed the bar. Passed the bar, took the bar, passed the bar. And that was in 2000. So it was a while ago. You know, we're in 2021. So I was 20, what, 23 or so? What? Wait a minute. Most people haven't graduated college yet, and you were already in law school. Yeah. Well, see, I started college at 16, finished Mm -hmm. at 19. I I finished in three years. So I was, you know, just rushing Mm -hmm. through. It just made sense to me because I knew I didn't have money and I knew I had to get through it quickly. So I took as many units as I can I could and went to summer school. And I just attended school basically nine to three, the same as high school. So I never yeah. stopped. I was like, if I stop doing that, then I won't then I won't get not used to just taking two classes or something. Yeah. And I finished in three years. And wow. you know, you kinda graduate that June. So I was still nineteen. I turned twenty in December. So my first job, job, I couldn't like go. Everybody's like, let's go for drinks. I wasn't old enough to go for drinks, you know, after work Mm -hmm. drinks. And this was in a corporate setting. So yeah. And then I just took on that job full time after 
um, I decided to go to law school. Wow. So what, what, what was that job? Um, I was in insurance. So I ended up working um, as a, what they call an insurance underwriter. So I yeah. did that, worked in radio. And then when I graduated law school, I went in straight into corporate law, was moved to San Francisco. So I was working in you know, the legal department, but I transitioned working legal. So a lot of businesses I represented, homeowners, and then full-on corporate law in San Francisco and then in London. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I, I have so many things and thoughts on, on everything. First of all, that courtroom scene, I, I, you must know this, is either the opening scene or the closing scene of a movie. <laughs> of her biopic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Of your two-part biopic. The, movie, the first movie ends with that courtroom scene, and then the second movie picks up right where you left off, but redoes the scene just because it's so good. It has Hollywood up written all over it. We're doing this. Really, I, you know, I don't, you know, what's funny is when you say that, I remember, so the attorney on the other side was, her name was Maybelline Ephraim. And she ended up being the judge on the first divorce court show. Um, so I remember walking by the TV. I'm in law school. This is the time of like Allie McBeal TV show. Tiny little skirts and babies dancing on desks. Yeah, all that. And I remember walking, I was like, I'm coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, she doesn't know me. I'm so random. She probably forgot me. You know, but all all of that, you know, it was, you know. I'm looking her Maybelline up right now. Tell me you did an episode of Divorce Court. No, I never. You know, I did family <laughs> law for a little while and said I'll never do this again because I, I take it it's too rough. personally. It's yeah. rough. I used to work tangentially to family law uh, at a forensic accounting firm, oh. and yeah, it's yep. There she is. I it, remember her. It is a uh, it is a not nice area of 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 the law or really of anything. It's where like positivity goes to die. Yep. Yeah, I went with my friend in a similar situation to yours that made you go into law. Um, a couple mm-hmm. years back, I went with my friend for a child custody, custody. Uh, uh, just as support. And it was horrible in the way the judge spoke to her. And I, and I wrote something. I didn't want to write something for her. Like, I, I she's a, a great actress, a great writer. Like, I wanted her to be able to write it. But I just wrote a, a little bit from my experience and sent it to her because I could not believe the way she was treated. You know, he came with a lawyer. He didn't even show up in person. His lawyer came for him and garnered more respect. And here's the mother. This man has not even paid a nickel for this baby. And, and, you know, she was dealing with his autism and she was, you know, working three jobs trying to, I mean, it was, he, he wasn't even in the state and he had more respect given to him than this woman who took a day off work and like, couldn't afford a lawyer. I, it was, it was bad. And, and, um, I just, I could not, you know, these, it's interesting when men say women, mothers have all the control and power. And I'm like, okay, well I have been into to a custody and it has not been a pleasant, I, I couldn't even imagine like being a full-time, uh, family law attorney. Yeah. yeah. I think it would it would work on your soul after a while. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely does. I could tell you with certainty. They say that in, in law, they say that family law is the best people at their worst 
and criminal law is probably the worst people at their best. So they're wearing the suits, they're behaving. Family law is just two people trashing each other to get what they want. And they Mm -hmm. think that that's how it's going to get done. And it's sad. I know that you're describing the clients when you say that, but I think it applies to the attorneys as well. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No offense. No, not taken. No, I, you know, it, it, I think it's true. It's sad. It's sad and it's true. Well, I don't want to be, you know, too sad. So, um, (laughs) I want to know what she did in radio really quick. I do. That was another thing that I didn't want to lose that thread. What were you doing in radio? Yeah. You know, at first I started as an intern at Mm -hmm. a station called 92.3 The Beat. And it was DJ voice. Listen to her. Yeah. (laughs) There was a DJ that I used to work with. It was sort of like a, it was the drive home. Mm -hmm. So it was a six to 10. Um, and it was sort of like a, like an animal house or, you know, a fun house sort of, it was like jokes and singers and, and it was fun. And I was just one of the people in the room. That's great. Did you ever go on air? Yeah. Yeah. All the time, yeah. yeah. Asking questions, jokes, things like that. It was fun. That's awesome. All right, so you were... <laughs> She's yeah. never stopped working is the problem, guys. This woman started working at 19 and hasn't stopped. And she has, like, multiple jobs, multiple degrees, multiple awards. Like, you don't understand. You think that I've worked a lot of jobs? You have not met Natasha. I'm actually trying to, like, work my way through this timeline because we didn't. We kind of brushed over the fact that you graduated high school at 16. Mm. You didn't even mention it. You just said you started college at 16. But that's I've, – I've, I know another person who graduated high school at 16. They took – um. Well, like you can take AP courses and take cre- college credit courses in high school. Mm-hmm. I did. I got, okay. I took, well, not as many as she did. I graduated 18, but. Yeah. I, I took an AP class in high school. You know what happened? Or PA. I Our, failed my AP oh. class in high school because I was a <laughs> high school student, not a college student. Right. So I'm giving a lot of props to you right now yeah. for uh, not only taking those classes, but obviously crushing them fast. Crushing. I mean, really? <laughs> You know what? I didn't. Okay. So, cause I'm thinking about it. Cause there was no, okay, this is going to age. Well, I've already said pretty much how old I am. So it's like, there were no AP classes in the nineties. So what I did is I just took one summer class in at the local junior college, but I started college that summer in a special program just yeah. right away. So so for me, most of the high school students graduated at 17. I I was just younger because I started school a year younger. That's a whole nother Got thing. It. My brother was starting school. You had to be five to start, uh, you know, at the time there's yeah. no pre-K, but it was to start kindergarten, you had to be five. Meaning she has a birthday four. coming up. Yeah. <laughs> I was four and I, I couldn't, I had separation anxiety. So they just allowed me to go to school. So I started school a year early. So most of, so I was in, I started kindergarten at four. Yeah. So I really just went through normally where, but my birthday wasn't until December. So my, so my sister is the same way. Yeah. So she graduated at, Amy graduated at 17. She started kindergarten at four. But she graduated, Natasha graduated at, at 16. 16. I know, yeah. you're putting her on the spot. I, well, I I'm mean, sorry. she already did it. It's not like she has to graduate now. And now a word from our sponsor. Let's get back to the show. 
it was like normal. I was like, I'll be 17 in a few months. But then I had to start college and the it was like a, what was it called? Like outward bound or something. It was a special program for black right. kids. So it was like, they said, you know, for, you know, helping college prep and stuff like that. And I wasn't like a great student. I played basketball, I ran track, but I wasn't serious about college. I didn't think I was going to be a college student. I took one of those tests. You know how they test you to see what your career is going to be in the guidance center. So it was one of those things. And they were just like, oh, you're going to be a, you should go to the military, basically. I think that's however it worked out. They were like, they did say writer. They did say something else, but it was nothing that I was interested in. So it came yeah. out like- Can you imagine if you, right now you were finishing your second tour in Afghanistan? Yeah, right. <laughs> I would have been coming home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not get that test given to me, but um, my my sister did, the one who graduated at 17. And she's very shy, um, but she was an artist and a violinist and she was on National Honor Society and she, you know- everything just my older sister and they gave her the test and they told her she'd be a bus driver she was so, <laughs> she was so like I'm, I'm like my art and my violin and they were like bus driver mm-hmm. little did they know that she was not going to be a bus driver you know she was a teacher went back and got her master's and started her phd didn't finish but started you know and clearly you were never destined to uh grace the armed forces no, no, apparently not. All my family has though. So maybe it was just, I was just projecting. I was mm. just, I don't, I have no idea. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just standing where I was told. <laughs> well, that, that actually is part of that job. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. well, maybe right. that's it. See, I would have been excellent. I sort of feel like the 90s is that too. It's like they didn't really, I, okay, you guys may, you had a different experience. I don't know about Natasha. I'm from Detroit. They didn't really tell you there's two tracks though. There was college prep and started in middle school. And then there was, um, what did they call the other track? I, I can't think, but it would be like trade jobs. So when you got to high school, that's when it got really, they, they just divided you and you didn't see your friends anymore. It was like college prep classes and then trade. It's like the opening move in the game of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but they didn't talk about college. They didn't talk about the SATs or the ACDs, the ACTs, you know, I didn't go to a, a wealthy public school, so we didn't have tutors or, you know, guidance counselors or anything like that. And it was just like, you got a piece of paper when you were in certain classes that said you'd be taking the ACTs on Saturday at 9am show up. And you were like, what? And you just went and did it because you were supposed to. And then you got to junior year and they were like, here's the colleges you'll be applying to. Did you want to go someplace else? And you were like, I don't know. Like, you know, there was no, there was no instruction. It's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were a different track because you went you from Manhattan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's I, like, yeah, yeah. I have I, all that. <laughs> I was I was also told exactly what I would be doing on Saturday, um, but it was it was a, it was a different track. <laughs> I was kind of I was I I had I was in that setup where like they tell you okay here is your pathway to success. Here's all the great universities you'll be able to go to. All you have to do is do this work in front of you. And then lazy asshole that I am going, I don't feel like that. Uh. <laughs> and you still went to USC. Yeah, I still Woo! went to USC. Yes, yes. I fought on all the way to USC. Uh, <laughs> my university of second choice. 
Uh, it, was, it was my first choice, but my family wasn't exactly thrilled about it. I'm like, you know what? Oh, it wow. is far as far away from you as I can get while remaining on the continent. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. Such good times. I, I Which was, oh. makes So for me, you're stuck on high school, but I'm stuck on the fact that she took all those credits and graduated college at 19 and then went to law school and did that like that and pass the bar and while working a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's far more like, again, lazy asshole that I am. I can't even comprehend all of this. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, so I'm on the same track as Natasha, but I did not grad. I graduated at 21 because I was failing classes working and taking so many credits and nobody told me that I could do pass fail instead of like, or you'd have to make up the class because your GPA wasn't hitting a certain number anymore. And I was like, Jesus, Um, I just needed a guidance counselor. Um, But (laughs) just kidding. But no, for real. But now I just don't. I have a lot of resentment. Let's be honest. Um, So the fact that you did it though, and law school, yeah, the fact that you passed the bar, but of course you passed the bar that fast. Of course you did. Because I think when you want something and you have purpose, like undergrad, I don't know, I just wanted out. So at some point you're just, I was just like, whatever. But law school, you went to court, you had an experience, it changed you and you knew exactly what you wanted then. And I think that that really is like such a driving force, like passing the bar. I mean, I've been listening to people not pass the bar for like years Well, I should say, let me add. So I didn't take the bar the first time. I didn't pass it the second time. I was selling my house Mm. and then I passed it. Well, not the second time. I mean, I didn't take it the first opportunity. I took it it the second opportunity, didn't pass. And then I took it it again and passed. Good for you. It's hard. It was hard. It was hard. I had never failed anything before. And I was like, oh my God, I got to really study for this. I got to really, like, this is serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so something you said earlier on is that at this time, you were already looking to pursue, in addition to a career as a, as a lawyer, you were also had writing in your, in your, in your scope, in your framework. Were you like, thinking about all of this is like, I'm going to, I'm going to write about this someday. Or were you, were you already writing at that time? No, I was, no. It's funny because people ask me questions. I didn't have a plan. Like the things that happened to me, like being thrown out of a courtroom that put me in law school. I hadn't planned to go to law school. My father had gone. He was a police officer though. He dropped out at USC law and this was never really in my, in my mind, other than my parents telling me, you know, we came from Alabama. You have to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, but I wasn't doing any of that. The the program that got me into college was an engineering program, wow. the National Society of Black Engineers. So when I say that it was a black program for black kids, mm-hmm. I, it was an engineering program. So I didn't have like a, I didn't know who I was going to be, what I was going to be. And it just sort of, for me, it's God, like got these God moments where he's like, this is your direction. So I said, okay, I guess I'll go in that direction. And, and so I wasn't writing my story or anything like that. It's just, it's just what happened. Hmm. Wow. So you're practicing law 
And that's through the next few years. I'm trying to picture when you went to UCR. What happened while you were practicing law that gave you a master's in writing? Um, the pen, the pen American fellowship. So mm -hmm. I was, I had this, because as a, as a lawyer, you're writing stories, you're retelling other people's stories, you know? Yeah. So I was like, I could write that way. And I had been writing funny things. I did a, a entry for MTV, a short film yeah. that, that went really far. And so I was learning, teaching myself how to, how to write those because it was an outlet for me. And then one day I was um, walking down the hallway. I just had my son. I was working, representing Girl Scouts USA. Um, and then I had my son and I just had my daughter before. And I remember I had this weird daydream. I was holding him. At that time, I thought he was going to die, um, which is a weird thought to have, to be a new mom. And I kept taking him back to the doctor and saying, I think my son, is, there's something wrong with my son. And they kept sending me home. And pretty soon they said, well, maybe it's postpartum depression or something like that, which is, okay. and I was like, you know what? I've been depressed before. This is not like that. Um, and then, but I decided that I would never put my son down. Like if I was carrying him, I wasn't going to put him down because everything that I was reading, because you know what moms do, or anytime you have something, you're like, Googling everything, every symptom. And I kept running into SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome. Oh. So in every account from a mom was like, I put, I laid her down for a nap. I came back and she was gone. Yeah. So I decided I'm going to work backwards. I'm not going to put him down because he's not going to go or he's not going to die alone if that happens. So when I had to go back to work, I would ask my husband to carry him around in one of those pouches just so yeah. he's never by himself because I was sure there was something wrong with him. Yeah. And he was only not even, he was a month old, but he wouldn't smile. He wouldn't bring his hands to his, like his face to rub his eyes, you know, just involuntary mm -hmm. movements. Yeah. Um, so then one morning I was walking down the hallway. It was daytime like it is now. And all of a sudden, and I was carrying him and it was night. And I remember thinking, what just happened? And I was in the woods and I was in Alabama and it was nighttime and I remember seeing the moon. And I wasn't afraid because I was thinking, I didn't wake up. I'm not standing in my hallway holding my son. So I kind of relaxed. And this horrible thing happened in front of me with this girl who was pregnant and she was in a yellow dress that had blood on it. And, and then it was over. And I remember giving my son back to my husband. I went in there. I was like, you got to hold him. I need to write down what I just saw. I just saw this. I had this weird experience. I'm going to write it down. So I wrote it down just on like some stickies. Yeah. And didn't know what to do with it. Put it in a drawer. And then it became the opening, the first chapter of my novel, Grace, what I saw. Um, and I decided to enroll in a class called Novel Writing One, How to Write a Novel at, US, at UCLA, where, where I now teach the same class. Um, but that's how it started. I was just like, I'm going to see what this is. Like, whatever this weird thing, because I'd never had an experience like that. I was like, yeah. if this is something, which I don't know that it is, I want to just, you know, follow it, honor it to its imaginary finish line, whatever that is. And my son ended up being diagnosed um as 
the youngest patient with a condition called SSADH, um, basically where his brain can't leak a certain chemical called GABA, which is like found in ruhypnol that makes people drowsy. Yeah. So he didn't run until he didn't walk until he was four. He mm-hmm. ran like a exaggerated run when he was six. So he ended up having, you know, and there's like 300 patients in the world, they think. It's a really rare genetic condition. And the only way that I found out is I went back to my doctor who was gone on vacation. And there was another doctor called, a, they call them locum, locum tenens. You know, when someone, when a retired doctor comes to take over, I think. His, oh. name, was doc, his name was Dr. Goldfarb. And he was at Kaiser. And I said, and I was so mad when I saw him because I was like, now I have to start all over with all the symptoms from the very beginning. And then he was like, can I hold them? I was like, you can hold them. Be careful with them. And he says, I'm just going to look at them. He did tests. And he says, you know, I want you and your husband to do this blood test because I think you're right. I think there's something wrong. And so they had to send our blood to like Amsterdam and all this other stuff. And wow. that's how we found out he had it. But it was Dr. Goldfarb who, you know, mm-hmm. saved his life, saved our lives really to get him on track. So he's he has retardation now. Um, he doesn't speak. He speaks about 25 words, but he's so loving and beautiful and fun. And Yeah. How yeah. old is he now? He is 14. 15 he just turned wow. 15. he just dropped him off at school he has an aide who goes with him walks him around and he's just bossy and just beautiful and we saw we saw pictures of him um at the paralympics mm-hmm. oh yes yes uh-huh. uh, he's he's quite he, handsome oh thank you thank yeah, you quite thank handsome you. <laughs> very sweet yes uh you know it um It just reminds me, um, those stories aren't rare, you know, like I think it's amazing that you talk about it openly and you wrote it down and you did something about it, um, and graced us all with grace. Um, well, you met your, the medical story is not, is not rare or, or, but I feel like the, the, the mom's knowing, the mom's having a vision, yeah. the mom's, you know, I, uh, well, she won't know, but um, my mom lost a baby and she dreamt about it before it happened. And she mm-hmm. knew, and she went to the doctor and said, there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I won't tell her story, you know, on here about what the vision was, but she went to the doctor and the doctor was like, there's nothing wrong with you. And she left. And then sure enough, she had a miscarriage. She was pregnant and didn't know that she was pregnant. She just knew something was wrong and that she was going to lose a baby and she lost a baby. And it's interesting to me that you can have, you know, like we know our bodies and we know something's going on and, you know, the dismissal is, and it, that's, it's, it's it's such a strange thing, you know? Um, anyways, God, I can't even believe, like, were you afraid when you had your vision? Yeah, until I thought I was, I just thought I was sleeping. I just thought, you know, we're going to be okay. And then it was daytime again and it never happened, but I knew I needed to write it down and I knew I needed to do something with it. Oh, that's what happened. So then I wrote it as a screenplay because I'd done that MTV thing. I was like, but I didn't know what the story was about. And then a friend of ours, 
um, a woman that my mother knew passed away. And then I knew what the story was about. I knew she was in it. I knew I wanted to honor her life. Um, she was a prostitute who married her John, her client, and moved around the corner from us. And she scared the shit out of me because she was so wild. She drank. She was, you know, like we never had alcohol in our house. She was always cursed. But I knew that I wanted her in there. I wanted that kind of woman who lived as she wanted. Yeah. In the story and I knew what it was about and I and I had to write it. And then when I tried to make it into a novel after I wrote it as a screenplay, it was so horrible. So that's why I got into the novel writing class. So I was like, I gotta figure out what this is about. Amazing. And now you teach that class. Oh, like everyone add that to her job list. She now teaches <laughs> novel writing. I want to talk about this job list, but I just but before we just before we're leaving this, I just want to say something that that is rare is that, you know, you clearly are a person who listens to your experiences. And, you know, I think, I think that all of us at some point or other are kind of spoken to by God or the universe or whatever, and whether or not we listen to it and what we do with it kind of defines who we are and what paths we're going to be on your path seems to be almost entirely, or at least your career path, has almost entirely been defined by your listening to yes. these experiences yeah. and, 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 and knowing when, when, it's a, when it's an important experience that you have to stop and put the baby down and focus on the experience and make sure you don't lose that thread because that mm -hmm. thread ultimately led to your wonderful book. Yeah, it is. It's, it is. It is pretty incredible. And you do see people um, who don't listen to their feelings, their voices, um, what God, universe, what you call your God, whoever calls their God, what they're putting in front of them. Because honestly, you know, you see people still sometimes um, not finding themselves until they're sixty. You know, they work in these jobs that don't bring them any happiness or satisfaction, and they just keep banging their head against a wall, you know, and it's like, it's worked for you. So maybe the message is, listen, we'll be right back. Told you we'd be right back. Yeah, I, I love that. I wish, I wish it were just like, I mean, hearing it now, it seems like, you know, yeah, of course, that's what happened. But at the time, it was such a struggle because so much yeah. of it is letting go. The hardest part mm -hmm. all the time is letting go of the bush, of that bird in one hand, right? Yeah. The bird mm -hmm. in one hand is worth two in the bush. And then not only letting go of the bird in the, in the hand, but not knowing yeah. what's even in the bush. Is there even something in the bush? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And I've also, as many times as I've gone for it, more, way more times have I held on to something because I couldn't let it go because it hurt too bad and I had to pay for it holding on for too long. Yeah. So that's equally as true for me is not walking away and paying for it with my body, yeah. with my mind, emotionally. So, yeah, that's good. I think that's a really important thing for people to yeah. hear because I think I, speaking for myself only, but you know, then speaking for the world. Um, <laughs> When I, There's a couple of things you need to know about Jason Bieber. <laughs> One, he's basically a doctor because he's Jewish. Yeah. I mean, 
I I will diagnose anything. Two, he will convince you that his theory of anything is correct and people will believe it. And then they'll spread that rumor and they'll be like, someone will be like, no, I'm a scientist. That's not right. And we'll, yeah. So go ahead, babe. And then when we'll, it'll eventually find its way back to me where I'll say, oh, I, I was just talking. I didn't mean anything. I just <laughs> and I'm just talking now. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, speaking for myself and then for the world, I have had plenty of moments where I have what may may have been divine inspiration and and couldn't let it go. And it's and and then I think back and go or couldn't let go of the bird in the hand. And I, I think back and kick myself or get down on myself for having been pragmatic in that moment and not not following, not pulling the thread or, or whatever, you know, metaphor you want to use it. It's great to hear from someone who did pull the thread and yeah. and it and succeeded that there have been plenty of times when the thread didn't get pulled when the when the bird was held in the hand. We can't do it every single time. Yeah. And and not and and not every thread you pull will lead to, you know, that that success either. You know, we can't we just have to kind of accept the journey that we're on and and know that that when we do things, it's for the right, you know, it's for a reason and it'll work out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to, to can always be learning because the more you expand and grow and learn and meet new people, you know, there's a study done and I can't remember, I think it was America as a whole. Um, as we get older, our, we meet less people, our friend groups get smaller. And I was so sad about that because I've always been the person that's tried to change that and make more friends and expand my world as I've gotten older, like see more of it. And I think that my tie in here is that the more you see, the more you do, the more you put yourself out there, the more the threads you pull, things tend to lead better because there's always somebody that's inspired you and so you have a person already in that direction, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just me. But I, I, I feel like if you're always putting yourself out there and learning and meeting and growing, then I love then the, it's um, a safe bet on yourself to pull the analogy thread. to pulling a thread. Because I think sometimes we think, and I'm only learning this now at this stage of my life, is that sometimes we think that we pull the thread and then it's like, let's make a deal. You know, like, do you want to switch this thing for that? And then you, they open the thing and it's like, ah, you won the prize. Right. But sometimes, but when you pull the thread, it actually, because everybody has to go through from A to Z, right? There's no skipping. You got to A, B, C, D, E, F to get to the end. You pull the thread. Sometimes it just puts you at the beginning of another path. It is not the grand prize at Z. You could go to Z, get this big thing, but something will happen and you got to retrace your steps and go back to it anyway to learn everything yeah. you have mm-hmm. to learn on that road. So I think, and sometimes when we pull the thread and we're like at step C, because we've learned through on some other road, A and B, now we're at C, we think that we failed because we're not at Z and it actually doesn't work like that. Agreed. So here's, okay. So speaking of that, I think that that brings us to back to jobs for you. So you're currently still practicing law, Mm -hmm. currently still writing. Mm -hmm. And I I have to be honest with you. My dad really wanted me to go to law school. He did not want me to be an actor writer. And he was like, you know, you know what a paid actor writer is? 
I was like, what? And he goes, a lawyer, just go be a trial <laughs> lawyer. I mean, this was his, like, literally this was his sale pitch to me. I have an entire letter from when I was 20 years old in my sock drawer still from him. And it, uh-huh. and it says, do you, do you know what a paid actor writer is? What? It's a lawyer. So I get it. Then I had a friend who um, was in the middle of law school. She was, she was studying family law. She, I mean, she was in the middle of law school and she worked at a family law practice. Mm-hmm. And she was so, she doesn't have children of her own, but she was so um, put off. You know, most of her attention was on the children when she was in, in, in what they were going through. I mean, her job was really to babysit when the families would come in, mm-hmm. that she ended up switching courses. I'm, I'm making this connection. And she's a social worker for children now. Aww. Yeah. So she quit law school. Big student loan debt. Um, and became mm-hmm. a social worker uh, full time. And that's what she's been doing for 15 years now. Wow. So my thread here that I'm pulling, guys, going A to Z, is that Natasha is um, studying once again. So she's still practicing law. And what are you studying now? I am studying um, to get an MS, MFT. So that's a Master's of Science in Family Therapy Amazing. Um, at Fuller seminary fuller theological seminary so um yeah so i'm just gonna be a therapist a licensed medical and family therapist marriage medical family when you're not practicing law or Or will you are you planning to retire from practicing (laughs) law or i haven't so it's another one of those things i felt called again so mm-hmm. i felt called to do this thing i wanted to i started a, a um a nonprofit called redeemed to mm-hmm. bring together lawyers and professional writers to help write stories to help clear criminal past and also to get pr- prisoners out of prison who've been there for a very long time um like who committed a crime at 17 or 18 and now they're 50 and even though what they did was a horrible error of judgment at 17 that would land someone in jail, but it's like, it's saying it's time, you know, yeah. like it's time. Um, so and the system hope- is not going to, you know, check itself. No. Yeah, no. So I did that and I was just, I was representing someone and I remember I just had my lawyer hat on and I was so, we won the case. He, he, Somebody died and he was responsible for their death. And I just, every time he would call and just say, hey, you know, I need help writing this thing. I'm like, all you have to do is write this thing. I'm doing the hard part. In other words, I didn't say that, but in other words, Mm -hmm. you know, like they haven't done this in California with someone who killed someone. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all this. All you have to do is tell the most horrible day of your life. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that's what I was saying to him. And it broke my heart. So after we won, my mind and my dreams, and like I say, God and my understanding or the universe, however, brought me back to that moment of winning, of standing next to him and him crying and me being like, okay, I got to catch a flight. Bye-bye. You know, and just, <laughs> you know, and I, it was wrong. And, and I felt for me, like I said, I'm saying God, I know people have different understanding. Um, I just felt like he was saying, I need you to look again and I need you to do something different. Yeah. And so I remembered Fuller because there was this big argument in the Christian community about the LGBT community 
and they were willing to have the argument, willing to embrace, you know? So I was like, that's where I want to go. If I have to do this God thing, I need to be in a place where I can follow what I believe Mm -hmm. that all people are loved. All people are created in God's image, all body types, you know, all this, all this, you know, beyond LGBT and, um, and it was, so that's where I went. And then I got the notice that I've been accepted on the day of the pandemic where they were announcing that all toilet (laughs) tissue was gone. There's no toilet (laughs) tissue. I'm taking my children out of school. It was a day before they like, cut school and they were like congratulations i'm like ah, are you kidding me right now I need <laughs> fine thank you i'm so happy that i'm gonna be going and that's how oh i started God. um fuller in 2020 <laughs> oh! <laughs> Tasha. So you've done that entire degree or you've done all your study online basically wow. in summer we return so it's year round you're always in school every 10 weeks you start so I've been in school, you know, summer was this past summer, but now I think they're going to go back online because of the Delta, mm. but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can I just say something sort of funny right now? Yeah. It seems like the right thing. Natasha yeah. has gone and gotten a degree every decade of her life so far. <gasps> have I? Yes, you, you have. You are a bona fide collector. I think we're the same age. Oh my gosh! I think we're the same age, and you have gotten a degree every decade of your life. (laughs) What is that about? I'm so proud of you. Like you're such my hero. Oh my gosh, you look so young. I'm so proud of you. Like my hero. I'm gonna come drive out to you, and we're gonna get some coffee. I don't drink coffee, so we'll go get milkshakes. We're gonna get some milkshakes. Yes, I'm so proud of you. Um, (laughs) See, I gotta go get another degree. Yeah. I gotta keep up with Natasha. No, what, you, what? You, you go ahead and pace each other. I'm gonna take a I nice long keep nap. Up with <laughs> um, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm just so dang proud of you. And I also want to talk to your husband. <laughs> Actually, I want him to talk to your husband. Um, yeah, I got, I got to learn that's some fine craftsmanship you did back here. <laughs> no, I we think talked before the show about the uh, about Natasha's faux office behind her that uh, her husband. <laughs> built for for her online life that's amazing um so are you graduating soon again um i'm i was supposed to graduate let's see next next year 20 what is 2022 2022 but it's probably gonna be december because i have to take time off for the book and because god let's talk about the december of 2021 no 2022 2022 so it's okay i was gonna say you're not gonna graduate early again are you no it's (laughs) i feel like no there's just it's not gonna happen and i'm seriously i'm probably maybe gonna take a break for the book as it picks up as you should as you should because as we stated in our introduction this book that comes out next week but has already been the most anticipated book since the summer since the summer that is six months from release date. Your book has been the most anticipated book of the year. And I've read it. I got real lucky because we have the same literary agent. I'm I'm bragging right now. Excuse me. I have the same literary agent as Natasha Dayon. <laughs> She's amazing. She's my second agent, by the way. She Dara is amazing. I can She's say amazing. that in comparison. She's amazing. She's, she's, I'm in a group 
with two other people, we all got an agent at the same time, all different agents. And I'm just like, my agent could kick your agent's ass. My agent is so awesome. Anyways. Anyways. You'd think writers would be like, you know, classy people, but they're not. I, I'm kidding. <laughs> they're a bunch of four-year-olds. Just kidding. But anyways, let's talk about the perishing. Wow. So you guys... I just want people to make sure anybody who's new to Natasha's work of art, she writes fiction. She's not writing stories out of her life. She's not writing memoirs. She's writing creative fiction. Um, She writes novels, fiction novels. So this is literally an entire different career. She's not taking the career she has and developing stories out of them that she's lived. This is a whole other career, and she's doing it while she's in school again, studying a whole other topic. And this book is so mind-blowing. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that we are actually buying another extra copy to give away to a lucky um, Twitter follower. Um, so I don't know how I'm going to say that on the thing so we can record that later. Yeah. Um, but we're so excited, Natasha. We are so excited for you in this book. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen when the general public gets it, what awards are coming your way, what Hollywood movie deals are going to come your way. Because if this isn't made into a movie, like, I don't understand. Or an HBO series, I don't understand. Also, like, I definitely Ow. feel like you're going to need another career at the end of this. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hollywood producer. She's got 10 years to decide what her next degree is going to be, Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Got another 10 years. Let it go. Fine. Yeah. Honestly, I think, you know, the thing that Natasha does really well is um, Dirty Laundry Lit. You didn't try to do every job. I think what you do really well as I've studied you intimately for two years and you didn't even know it because that's who I am. I want to be a PI. Um, That's like the thing I really want. Um, Is you, shut up. Um, You, just don't say it. You know how to give jobs to people. Delegate. You delegate so well, but not, it's beyond delegation. It's literally like she uplifts like the host, like she hires MCs or she, she, she puts MCs on the show. She doesn't try to be the face of every single thing that's happening. And I think that that is one, the story of success, you know, a lot of, that's how empires are built. <laughs> wow. Well, it is it's true because I think that what a lot of people do wrong is they try to do every job themselves. I want to produce, I want to direct, I want to act, I want to write, I want to start, I want to this, I want to that. And it's like, okay. Well, that's where you start to fall apart. You you know, like you can't do it all. You have mm-hmm. to have a great team and you have to be willing to allow somebody else some of the um some shining, which you've always done. You've put other people in the spotlight. And I, I'm so appreciative of that. You know, you, so I, whatever her next career is, because this is going <laughs> to be a Hollywood hit. I'm so excited. I can't wait for everyone to read The Perishing. I'm so excited for people. I want to talk about it with everybody. I want people to talk about it with me. I'm really excited. Aww. And I just keep my mouth shut. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that too, Jamie. I thank you for saying that because I did have doubt along the way about, especially in the LA literary community, people are like, "You're giving if you don't host it, you're giving your power away," and I'm like, "Is that what I'm supposed to be thinking about?" Yeah. You know, like the power. I just want it to be good. I want it to be fun. I want it to be a celebration. You know, because. Writing is so lonely and isolating. I just want to have a good time, just like everybody else. So, 
Thank you for saying that. It's one of those things, again, that weren't intentional. I just try to do things that are fun. If yeah. they're not fun for me, even teaching a class, if it's not fun, I'm doing it wrong. Or yeah. I don't want to do it. You know, it's like, I want it to be fun for everyone. I agree. I 100% agree. The last dirty laundry, people were dancing for the first time at a, at a, at a reading, mm. you know, and Hollywood and we had fun because we were uplifting so for me that part was perfection you know or is it the host that's perfection or is it the drinks that are like what is it I think each of us have to think what is it to us personally what needs to be perfect for me right now perfection is my family happy yeah if they're not happy no matter how perfect how many book reviews how many you know, great, you know, things are being said about the book or me. If my family are happy, I don't feel that perfection. So I think it really depends. Is it the book cover? Is it the words? Is it what is perfection? What needs to be perfect? Does everything? I don't think that everything can be perfect. Yeah. Um, But I think there is perfection, but I just don't think it's as broad as people might think. There is one thing, one job that we haven't talked about in any kind of detail yet that I'd love to just touch upon. And that is your career as an activist. Oh man. Because that well, is- We a, talked about redeemed. So. We did talk about redeemed and, and but yeah, but it is such a, a big part of who you are and what yeah. you do every day. Yeah. Um, and and I, one, of the, one of your credits that we didn't even mention is that you were a U.S. delegate to Armenia in 2017 as part of the U.S. Embassy's reconciliation project between Turkey and Armenia. That's incredible. You know, with Armenia, um, it was through the University of Iowa. So it was someone that I met in the MFA program, Kate um, Desherry. She invited me to go because of other activism that I was doing. Um, I believe in human rights. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me. Um, and the arguments are all the same because people aren't that unique in the ways that we oppress each other, the way we kill each other, the violence that we exact on groups. And it's and it's it's heartbreaking. So I had to study on Armenia before I went there. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that Hitler says, using their genocide as sort of the roadmap for what he was going to do so horrifically to Jewish people. Um, so, and one of the things he said was, who will remember the genocide of the Armenians? You know, like who will remember that? That was his whole thing. So nobody will remember what happened to the Jewish people. Um, and he was wrong. So I remember going there. One of the first things they told me is that I couldn't mention the genocide, even at the embassy. Um, there were only three of us writers and I remember sitting in the embassy, getting the debrief of what we can and can't say. And I said, you know, I said, it was a long trip getting here, 17 hours or whatever it was. I said, but I'm not going out there and talking to the Jewish people and the Turkish guests and not mentioning the genocide. I said, I'm a black person in America. I know what people have done to me and my people. And there's no way in hell I'm going to go out there and do that to the Armenian people. I said, so I don't know, because they were telling me, you're going to do this press, this TV show, this TV show. I was like, I'm not going. And it was like a diva moment to them. But to me, I was certain that I wasn't going to treat them that way. And as a 
black person, like I said, even now people are just becoming aware of police violence, things that we've known about. Like my grandfather was killed on the 4th of July. He was a World War II vet, right? He was beaten to death by police for um, public drunkenness. He died in the VA hospital like three days later from Mm -hmm. his head injuries, but he was beaten to the point of near death. I was like, all these injustices, I'm not going to go there and be quiet. I said, you called the wrong person. So they had to do all these meetings. And then I went back out and I said, you know, now they said you, they gave me permission and it was only made legal. The U S only recognized it this year, you know, and that was 2017 now, but it was like a big deal. Yeah. So I could, I was fortunate that Kate in the university of Iowa said that we believe that you know how to carry this. It, it, across the board. It's not just that we know it happened to our people or that Jewish people know that it happened to them. And Jewish people are great advocates of other people, you know, but it spread, it goes to everyone. You can't just say, you know, I don't like that it happens to me. You shouldn't also like that it happens to someone else. Right. So I was able to do that there and I'm proud of that. Um, I don't know everything about, you know, Armenian people or, you know, or, or Jewish people, or Latino people, or Chinese, but I know what is wrong. And I'm willing to use my voice. And if if it costs me things, it costs me things. And it has cost me things in my life. But I feel like we have to surrender. For me, I feel like I have to surrender my life for whatever is next, to do the right thing. Because I'd rather go out like that if I'm going to be, if I'm going to die today and that's how I live, I'm dying today. I want to die doing like, this is how I want to go out. And that's mm-hmm. what I ask, I, you know, every day. That's what I say. Is this how I want to go out? That ability to uh, immerse yourself and then empathize is what makes you, is what makes one a talented writer and storyteller. Right. It makes you a capable um, it makes you a capable criminal defense lawyer. It makes you a capable um, uh, um, therapist. All of these crafts that you have pursued are really, I mean, it kind of all keeps coming back together. It's about empathy, empathy and understanding. Someone asked me recently, you know, what do I want my legacy to be? And I know there are people, especially in the in the Christian community. So I'll just bring it back to the community that I understand. There's a whole, there was a whole movement still is like legacy, legacy builders, legacy. Like, what do you want to leave? And I'm not that I'm not her. I feel like whatever I, whatever I leave, somebody else will tell me what my legacy is. It's not my job to intentionally create, like I want to do this or do that. I just have to go where I'm called. And I know that's a weird word, probably. You just know when you're moved to do something. And I just want to show up for as long as I can until I can anymore. Because I've been sick, you know, for I was sick at one point where I couldn't do anything. So when I wake up, I thank God that I'm up again. I thank God that my family is all here. I thank God that my family's dope, you know, dope meaning fun and Mm -hmm. cool. You know, I'm just thankful, you know, and I just don't want to play a part in telling the story of me. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever things I do wrong, because I don't want to not do things wrong, you know, because that's yeah. what happens as you start trying to carve out, oh, if I do that, what does that mean for me? Like, is this just the right thing to do? 
or did I blow it? And I blow it all the time. So yeah, this has been one of my favorite, 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 favorite interviews. Absolutely. Thank you so stinking much for being here. It's been so great to speak with you and learn so much about you. And meet you in person is awesome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. She showed on Tune in next week to hear our conversation with world-class writers and hustlers Gina Frangello and Rob Roberge. Nice.